Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Good evening, dummies. Episode 203, Tuesday, August 10th, 716 p.m. Welcome to Don't Unfriend Me. I was asked earlier today, my microphone, someone said, hey, I know you used the Shure SM7B at one point. Immediately that conversation, this is the person after my own heart that they know the SM7B, but this is the RE20, is it not? It looks like the RE20, but it's black. First of all, don't be racist. Second of all, this is, yes, this is the same one that Dan Bongino uses. Dan uses a silver or gray-colored RE20. I like the black. So I special ordered this and got this microphone. It's a great microphone. It is crystal clear for audio. And even though I'm a SM7B fan, I noticed that it was just a little too warm, and I like the crispness of the RE20. I hope you do, too, now that you've had a lesson on audio. Who am I? What do I do? My name is Matthew Spear. I am the host of Don't Unfriend Me. Thank you for stopping by. I will tell you, I feel magnifico, feeling super duper, feel good. I'll tell you what, a lot of people are engaging and the site is doing really well. Don't Unfriend Me is growing. It's starting to get some recognition. Some people are coming out of the woodwork. In fact, my followers are now following and not only just regular followers, which they should follow at 28,000 and 25,000 likes, 28,000 followers. That's a good number is that other groups are starting to follow me, which is really cool. You know, when I get recommended to follow groups, it's like the Republican National Convention, the DNC, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, Purple Heart Foundation, all that type of stuff. But now people are getting that recommendation and they're seeing Don't Unfriend Me and they're joining. And I'm seeing a plethora of groups, which is good because that exposes me to new people. Folks, I'm excited. I love where we're going. I love what we're doing. I think that this is going to continue to grow. And I get asked all the time, why are you not canceled? Why hasn't Facebook shut you down? I said it on my live show is because I try to be as honest as I can. I don't listen to conspiracy theory. I don't condone people saying horrible things about either side. I don't let them tell lies. And I don't get involved in conversations that are going to take me down a path that is going to get me or the site in trouble. It's just not important enough to me. Getting on every night is the most important thing, and I appreciate your support. Speaking of that support, what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, let me get to it. The first thing is the Italian scallion. Yes, that is a play on words. You know, Sylvester Stallone, the Italian scallion. If I have to explain the joke, it's no good. Governor Cuomo. Governor or governor? Governor. The governator. Governor Cuomo is ousted. He's gone. He retired, resigned, was bamboozled, run amok, whatever. He is out of office most assuredly. What does that mean and why? And why does it truly add more cord for the proverbial hanging of liberals? Well, because they gave their unfettered support to Cuomo just a few short months ago. We're going to talk about that tonight and all the sticky, sorry, details. Last but not, well, actually not last, second to last but not least, here's to Camelot. 
in smithereens. John F. Kennedy, when I talked about JFK and his amazing speech of ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, I had a lot of people, specifically Democrats, liberals, blue collars, reaching out to me and saying, I think John F. Kennedy was the greatest president who ever lived. I don't agree, but that's okay. But the interesting thing is, is do you actually understand that if John F. Kennedy was alive today, he would be a Republican? That's how far the left have gone. I'm going to show you why and tell you why tonight. I happen to know a lot about JFK. I have studied the JFK assassination my whole life, and I am enamored with it. We'll talk a little bit about the man, the myth, the legend from Camelot. It's not that I don't trust you, but I don't. Coronavirus. What is going on with the hesitancy versus the vaxxers, the anti-vaxxers specifically? If people have questions, are they anti-vaxxers? If they're hesitant or concerned, are they anti-vaxxers? The answer might surprise you. I'm going to go into it. And I have something exclusive to Don't Unfriend Me. It's not been played on any show, any network, or any other podcast anywhere in the world, which are numbers coming out of Houston Methodist Willowbrook, which will basically contradict what we're hearing from the mass media. There's a very large sample size. I'm going to walk you through it. We're going to talk a little bit about why is there people of color trepidation around the vaxxers. I thought it was only Trump supporters. Well, that would be a lie. Considering that most minorities actually voted for Joe Biden or didn't vote at all, we'll talk about it tonight. But first, former governor of New York City, Andrew Cuomo, as you know, is uh, he's starring in a new sitcom spinoff since he is currently unemployed. It'll be called How I Killed Your Grandmother. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Episode 203 is in the house, and I am excited to be here. I want to address something really quick. I'm hearing a lot of people, I posted something about Obama, and I I didn't realize how much people actually hate President Obama. I mean, it's hate. They don't like Biden, but they hate President Obama. I think we need to kind of tone it down a little bit. Calling Obama a Nazi is kind of stupid, don't you think? Showing genitalia of Michelle Obama in the male persuasion. That's a bit much. Folks, can we clean it up just a bit? I understand we don't like President Obama. I understand some people don't like President Trump, but enough. Let's not go there. Let's. It's in the past. And I'm not asking you to censor yourself, but I am deleting things like that. I am as good as my word. I don't want the trash. I don't mind a little bit of talk here and there or some conjecture or supposition, but saying Michelle Obama is a male, who cares? It's not true and it's ridiculous and you just need to stop. I'm 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 just asking you please. And and Barack Obama is a lot of things. He's certainly not a Nazi. Uh I, I don't think they're accepting uh people of his persuasion. But but I could be wrong. It could be a new Nazi party. Maybe they're woke. I folks, enough. I wanted to specifically talk about the hypocritical nature of President Obama's birthday bash of 500 plus and how he essentially didn't follow any COVID rules. That's enough, isn't it? Do we have to make things up? Let's have a little bit of a higher brow conversation or don't. It's up to you. I really don't care. I just figured I would try. 
I already told you who I am. My name is Matt Spear. I told you Don't Unfriend Me is about politics, current events, and all that other stuff. Well, what else do we do here? Well, I've already answered that question. But if you like what you hear so far, if you've been here before and you haven't had a chance to like, share, and subscribe, you can do that on YouTube right over here in the little red envelope. Like and follow on Facebook. I got a disparity of like 3,000. 28,000 followers, 25,000 likes. That's fine because follows are actually better than likes because you get all my updates and I'll stay fresh in your feed. But make sure if you haven't done both, please go do so. It helps and it keeps the light on. You can find me on all these social media sites. And once again, if social media ain't your bag, baby, go to donutfriendly.com which has all of my catalog, my videos and everything else. And I post them at 930 weekdays and I hope you stop by. Thank you so much, and let's get it started. We have a ton to cover. You heard it here first, folks. The Italian scallion. Governor Andrew Cuomo announced his resignation Tuesday over a barrage of sexual harassment allegations. In a fall from grace a year after he was widely hailed nationally for his detailed daily briefings and leadership during some of the darkest days of the COVID-19 pandemic. Of course, when Donald Trump went ahead and had these daily briefings as a president and literally took three hours out of his day, a day that he usually woke up at 5 in the morning and didn't go to sleep until 11, 12 o'clock, and we saw his Twitter at 3 a.m. as well. Folks, people can say a lot about President Trump, but a hard worker is something they should always say about President Trump, but I digress. But these turns were defiant and chastened. The 63-year-old Democratic emphatically denied intentionally mistreating women and called the pressure for his ouster politically motivated. But he said that fighting back in this too-hot political climate would subject the state to months of turmoil. Right, but sticking old people in nursing homes with COVID didn't seem to be one of them, allegedly. The best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing, Cuomo said in his televised address. I watched it today, and I was eating lunch. I had a hard time keeping it down. The third-term governor's resignation, which will take effect in two weeks, was announced as momentum built in the legislature to remove him by impeachment. And after nearly the entire Democratic establishment had turned against him, with President Joe Biden joining those calling on him to resign, the move came a week after New York's Attorney General released the results of an investigation that found Cuomo sexually uh, harassed, he sexually harassed at least 11 women. Investigators said he subjected women to unwanted kisses, groped their breasts or buttocks or otherwise touched them inappropriately, made insinuating remarks about their looks and their sex lives, and created a work environment rife with fear and intimidation. I just want to make sure. No, no, this wasn't Joe Biden. This was actually Cuomo. Okay, I just want to make sure. Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, she's a 62-year-old Democrat and former member of Congress from the Buffalo area, will become the state's 57th governor and the first woman to hold the post. Of course, they didn't waste any time to say that. I'll talk about her in a minute. She said Cuomo's resignation was the right thing to do and in the best interest of New Yorkers. The Me Too era scandal cut short not just a career, but a dynasty. Cuomo's father, Mario Cuomo, was governor in the 1980s and 90s, and the younger Cuomo was often mentioned as potential presidential candidate material. Even as scandal mushroomed, he was planning to run for re-election in 2022. Republicans exulted in Cuomo's departure, but still urged impeachment, which could prevent him from running for office again. He's done. He's never going to run again. This resignation is simply an attempt to avoid real accountability, state GOP chair Nick Langworthy said. Cuomo prefaced his resignation with a 45-minute defense from his lawyer and his own insistence 
that his behavior, while sometimes insensitive, off-putting, or too familiar, had been used against him as a weapon in a political environment where rashness has replaced reasonableness. Good word, I guess. I am a fighter, and my instinct is to fight through this controversy because I truly believe it is politically motivated. I believe it is unfair and it is untruthful, he said, but added that he didn't want distractions to consume the state government as it grapples with the pandemic and other problems. Well, just because you resign doesn't mean you can't clear your good name. Why don't you do that? Listen, there was an investigation. We'll go into that. But ultimately, Cuomo is cooked brisket. He's way overcooked brisket. This guy's not coming back in any way, chance or form, any way, shape, or form. Cuomo still faces the possibility of criminal charges with a number of prosecutors around the state continuing to investigate him. At least one of his accusers has filed a criminal complaint. And here's the thing. Nothing will go unturned. They will absolutely fund every single private investigator. The Republican National Convention will get in anything to go ahead and dispose the Democrats. That's what this this is what this is all about. We all understand that. But Cuomo is a bad guy. We'll go into that more as well. These strings of accusations began in news reports last December and went on for months, and the Democrats knew about this for much longer than that. From the beginning, I simply asked that the governor stop his abusive behavior. Lindsay Bolin, the first woman to accuse Cuomo publicly of harassment, tweeted Tuesday, it became abundantly clear he was unable to do that, instead attacking and blaming victims until the end. As the scandal grew, Cuomo called some of the allegations fabricated, forcefully denying he touched anyone inappropriately, but he acknowledged making some aides uncomfortable with comments he said he intended as playful, and he apologized for some of his behavior. He portrayed some encounters as misunderstandings attributable to generational or cultural differences invoking his upbringing. So it's because I'm old and you're black. That sounds really good. I'm sure that's going to go over well with his constituents. He said he's an affectionate Italian-American, comes from an affectionate Italian-American family. As Cuomo resisted calls to step down, state lawmakers launched an impeachment investigation and his allies deserted him over the accusations and the discovery that his administration had concealed thousands of COVID-19 deaths among nursing home patients. The attorney general's harassment investigation backed up the women's accounts and added lurid new ones. Investigators also said the governor's staff retaliated against Boylan by leaking confidential personal files about her. As governor, Cuomo proclaimed himself a progressive Democrat who gets things done. Since taking office in 2011, he helped push through legislation that legalized gay marriage, began lifting the minimum wage to 15, and expanded paid family leave benefits. He also backed big infrastructure projects, including a Hudson River bridge that he named after his father. At the same time, he was engaging in the behavior that got him into trouble. He was publicly championing the Me Too movement and surrounding himself with women's rights activists. He signed into law sweeping new protections against sexual harassment and lengthened the statute of limitations in rape cases. His resignation is a testament to the growing power of women's voices since the beginning of the Me Too movement, said Deborah Katz, a lawyer for one of his accusers, Charlotte Bennett. Cuomo's national popularity soared during the harrowing spring of 2022 when New York was the lethal epicenter of the nation's coronavirus outbreak, and he became President Donald Trump's chief antagonist in the minds of many Americans. Cuomo's tough-minded but compassionate rhetoric made for riveting television, well beyond New York, as he sternly warned people to stay home and wear masks while Trump often brushed off the virus. Cuomo's briefings won an International Emmy Award, and he went on to write a book on leadership in a crisis. 
grab him by the... Okay, I'm not going to say it. But those accomplishments were soon tainted when it emerged that the state's official count of nursing home deaths had excluded many victims who had been transferred to hospitals before they succumbed. A Cuomo aide acknowledged the administration feared the true numbers would be used against us by the Trump White House. Also, Cuomo's administration was fiercely criticized for forcing nursing homes to accept patients recovering from the virus. The U.S. Justice Department is investigating the state's handling of data on nursing home deaths. In addition, the state attorney general is looking into whether Cuomo broke the law in using members of his staff to help write and promote his book, from which he stood to make more than $5 million. I'm sure he could have a lot of dates for that money. The governor also faced increasing criticism over his rough and sometimes vindictive treatment of fellow politicians and his own staff, with former aides telling stories of a brutal work environment. Cuomo has been divorced since 2005 from the author and activist Carrie Kennedy, a member of the Kennedy family, and was romantically involved up into 2019 with TV lifestyle personality Sandra Lee. Good for her. He has three adult daughters and appealed to them as he stepped down. I want them to know from the bottom of my heart. That's not very far. I never did and I never would intentionally disrespect a woman or treat any woman differently than I would want them treated. That doesn't make much sense, especially if you're a douchebag with no morals. Your dad made mistakes and he apologized and he learned from it. And that's what life is all about. Cuomo got his start in politics as his father. He was a hard-nosed and often ruthless campaign manager, as I said earlier. Then was New York Attorney General and U.S. Housing Secretary under President Bill Clinton before getting elected governor. Wonder if Bill taught him a few tricks. New York has seen a string of high-level politicians brought down in disgrace over the recent years. And this is really what's been happening in New York for quite a while. Governor Elliot Spitzer resigned in 2008 in a prostitution scandal. Representative Anthony Weiner went to prison for sexting with a 15-year-old girl and going ahead and linking Hillary Clinton's laptop. I'm sure he didn't fall on some bullets or anything in apparent suicide. I'm really surprised that didn't happen. And Attorney General Eric Schneiderman stepped down in 2018 after four women accused him of abuse. And the legislature's top two leaders were convicted of corruption. But here's the thing. The liberals have been standing by Andrew Cuomo and just recently started saying, oh, well, maybe we should ask him to resign. Here is a quote. Andrew Cuomo has never backed away from his progressive principles. And at the same time, he has been one of the most effective governors in this country. Look at his record. He led on recognizing marriage of equality in America, ensuring that paid family leave is a reality for everyone, enacting meaningful gun control after the tragedy at Sandy Hook, and securing $15 an hour for New Yorkers. I look forward to addressing the Democratic Convention and talking about the tremendous possibilities ahead of, for New York and his country. Who was that? Well, that was President Joe Biden. Here's another one. People in every corner of this state are mounting a massive resistance. We need leaders who believe in producing results and getting things done. Leaders like Andrew Cuomo and Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul. Oh, who said that? Well, the one of our most favorite, HRC, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Here's another one that should be really disturbing. The governor has delivered for the women and girls of this state. He knows what's at stake. He will fight for us every day and fight us off every single day until we succumb to his whim. She didn't say the last part. New York State Attorney General Lydia James. But here are some of the people who've actually advocated and put their support behind him as a run of president. Speaker of the House, United States House Representatives Nancy Pelosi. Senator Christine Gillibrand, who's now calling for his ousting. Senator Charles Schumer, Chuck, 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 who also is calling for the ousting. 
New York State Attorney General Latia James, Congresswoman Yvette Clark, Congressman L. Elliot Engel, Congressman Adriano Espelate, Congressman Brian Higgins, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, Congresswoman Nita Lowry, Congressman Carolyn Maloney, Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, Congressman Gregory Meeks, Congressman Grace Men, and this goes on and on and on. Hundreds of Democrats supporting Governor Cuomo. Now, we can pretend all we want that the left has remained vigilant in their disdainful views of Andrew Cuomo, but the opposite is actually true. They were espousing and fawning over him just a short time ago. Remember when their candidate pool looked grim? The two altar boys from the left coast, they were thrusted upon the masses as virtuous saints. With Cuomo's tough-nosed approach to Trump and Newsom's olive branch towards Trump, they seemed to offer the best of both worlds to the ill-fated Democratic Party who didn't stand a chance in hell to beat Trump. Well, that is until COVID came along. COVID? COVID Cuomo? That would have been funny. The, the <laughs> Cuomo's COVID. What a difference a few months make, though, sincerely. Now they are leaping from the sinking ships. No, not the hospital ships that Trump sent to them, but the proverbial Titanic and aptly named SS going down. Newsom is in the middle of a recall in California, and the vultures have circled, landed, and are feeding on the bones and sinew of Cuomo. Still warm corpse, mind you. Now let's be honest. Allegations are simply that. They're allegations. This is the old Potomac two-step. Out of the old Sololinsky playbook, if you can't beat their policy, destroy their character. If you can't destroy their character, make stuff up. We see accusations tossed around the beltway like it is a high school gossip mill. Very rarely does it pan out. Governor Northrum dressed up in KKK robes or in blackface. We still don't have a straight answer as to which. And that's our governor of Virginia. He's still in office. Jim Jordan was accused and then that disappeared. Joe Biden had his allegations. So did Donald Trump. We all remember the fiasco with Brett Kavanaugh and the world of BS that ensued. The only reason Amy Coney Barrett was spared was because she literally was born in a manger under the star of Bethlehem. Sorry for the sacrilege. But this wasn't any of that. This was an investigation. It was held and Cuomo was most assuredly found to have done enough of these horrendous things to be removed from public life and hopefully brought up on charges. After his resignation, he had conducted just one more Look At Me News conference where he deflected and he avoided taking responsibility. He attempted to be amiable, if not affable, but alas, he only looked even more guilty, if that was possible. Contrition is important, but false equivalencies are being made that he somehow went down with honor. It isn't honorable to prey on women. It isn't honorable, honorable to be another in a long line of scumbags to run New York. The corpse will be picked clean in the next few days, and another Pelosi Democrat will stand in his place. A female Lieutenant Governor, Kathy Hochul, who waits in the wings to erase the tarnish and muck that Cuomo leaves behind. Of course, not until after the Democrats squeezed every single drop of political capital out of the Italian scallion. Now they will put a female governor in place, and they will rejoice that New York has exercised their demons. That is, until Bill de Blasio screws that all up in the near future. Here's to Camelot in smithereens. November 22nd will forever be etched into America's memory for the assassination of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy in 1963. Ever since his death, Kennedy has been one of the easiest presidents to remember. He was a charismatic leader with big goals for the U.S., and we will always wonder what could have been had Camelot continued. The answer might surprise many modern Democrats. 
Following his assassination, the Kennedy family began to shape the popular image of JFK. This was done partly to help his younger brother, Robert Kennedy, during his bid for presidency in 1968. Many Americans love to compare our modern presidents with Kennedy. He routinely leads in public opinion polls, asking who is the greatest president, surpassing more accomplished leaders like former President Abraham Lincoln, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and Ronald Reagan. The JFK myths remain alive and well, but with every decade that passes, it's worth re-examining who John F. Kennedy actually was and what he stood for. Today's Democrats might find it surprising that JFK was a supply-sider economics guy. He was partly elected due to slow growth under Dwight Eisenhower. In the 1950s, the United States had a 91% top income tax rate. You heard me correctly. No, Bernie Sanders wasn't alive then, or at least wasn't running in office, or wasn't in office. In a speech to Congress in January 1963, he said the high tax burden was an unrealistic, heavy drag on private purchasing power, and the initiative and incentive was daunting. He knew the best way for the government to raise growth was to get out of the way and let the private sector do what it does best. Kennedy didn't live to see his tax cut get implemented, but the Revenue Act of 1964 did everything he anticipated. According to economic historian Brian Domitrovic, JFK's economic policies brought unemployment below 4%, created 13 million jobs, and economic growth of 48% over eight years. The economy had been sluggish in the 1950s, but Kennedy made it certain it was bustling in the 1960s. Kennedy also stressed the need for a balanced budget, even while calling for tax reductions. And yes, he is the last president ever to call for a balanced budget and actually do something about it. In a speech to the Associated Business Publications Conference during the 1960 campaign, he said, we should seek a balanced budget over the course of the business cycle with surpluses during good times, more than offsetting the deficits which may be incurred during slumps. I submit that this is not a radical fiscal policy. It is a conservative policy. Holy crap. Even though income taxes were cut by 20% for all taxpayers, revenue went up thanks to the swift economic growth. Domitrovic found that federal receipts increased by 55% in real terms during the 1960s. In his analysis of the Kennedy tax cut, economist Arthur B. Laffer notes that the federal government's income tax revenue increased by an average annual rate of 8.6% over the four years following its implementation, compared to a small increase of only 2.1% prior. On foreign policy, Kennedy believed, Kennedy believed that the U.S. had to take an active role in the world. His foreign policy was hawkish from the beginning, starting with the Bay of Pigs invasion and continuing with American intervention in South Vietnam and the Cuban Missile Crisis. JFK would routinely stress the need for a military buildup. On March 28, 1961, Kennedy gave a special, special message to Congress calling for an increase of $650 million for the defense budget. He declared that any potential aggressor contemplating an attack on any part of the free world with any kind of weapons, conventional or nuclear, must know that our response will be suitable, selective, swift, and effective. Holy crap. While he may be uncertain of its exact nature and location, there must be no uncertainty about our determination and capacity to take whatever steps are necessary to meet our obligations. At a speech in November 1961 in Los Angeles, he informed his supporters that the administration developed five additional combat divisions and will have a substantially increased number of Polaris submarines by 1963 and 64. Then we would have had. In terms of the space race, Kennedy said he did not 
believe that we want to permit the Soviet Union to dominate space with all that it might mean to our peace and security in the coming years. Under Kennedy, defense spending would increase from $64.54 billion in 61 to $69.9 billion in 63. A Democrat increasing defense spending? Say it ain't so. The number of active duty military personnel would increase by about 200,000 from 61 to 63. He bolstered old allies and aligned the U.S. with new ones like Israel, ending an arms embargo and selling them surface-to-air missiles from protection. And while John F. Kennedy would make many conservatives proud, he would not entirely fit into the modern Republican mold today. For example, he supported raising the minimum wage and federal grants for more projects in rural areas. Additionally, the debate over his ideology is somewhat muddled by the shifting definitions of what conservatism and liberalism were. Even so, Kennedy's record looks more like that of a modern political conservative than a liberal. If he returned to see the Democratic Party of 2017, 2019, 20, or 21, he would find it unrecognizable from his party in 63. The key policies he held dear have been extinguished by the Democrats today and replaced by the horrible socialist policies of progressives. It's not that I don't trust you, but I don't. The key to herd immunity is that even a person becomes infected, they are too few susceptible hosts around to main transmission. Those who have been vaccinated or have already had the infection cannot contract the spread of the virus. That is so important with herd immunity. The COVID-19 vaccines developed by Moderna, Pfizer, BioNTech, for examples, are extremely effective at preventing symptomatic disease, but it is still unclear whether they protect people from becoming infected or from spreading the virus to others. That poses a problem for herd immunity. Here are some of the main reasons why herd immunity will be out of reach, if not for some time, forever. There's an uneven distribution. Across the United States, access to vaccine has been uneven. Some states, such as Georgia and Utah, have fully vaccinated less than 10% of their populations, whereas Alaska and New Mexico have fully vaccinated more than 16%. Communities of color may be more likely to distrust the vaccine because they have less trust in the medical system, which unfortunately has a history of mistreating them, and we'll go over that in a few minutes. Variants. Higher rates of immunity can create selective pressure, which would favor variants that are able to infect people who have been immunized. Vaccinating quickly and thoroughly can prevent a new variant from gaining a foothold, but again, the unevenness of vaccine rollouts creates a massive challenge, and this is what we've been hearing, is that Everyone, the other 50% of the United States has to get vaccinated. Well, the thing is, is the rest of the world had a very large foothold over us. We were too slow. And the whole point is, is that that's the problem, is when you vaccinate just enough, the virus will then adapt and overcome. If you don't give it an option, it can't. But we waited too long. Immunity might not last forever. Calculations for herd immunity considered two sources of individual immunity, vaccines, and natural infection. People who have been infected with SARS-CoV-2 seem to develop some immunity to the virus, but how long that lasts remains a question, and they'll have to account for the fact that the vaccines are not 100% effective. If infection-based immunity lasts only for something like months, that provides a tight deadline for delivering these vaccines. It will also be important to understand how long vaccine-based immunity lasts and whether boosters are necessary over time. For both of these reasons, COVID-19 could become very much like the flu. Vaccines might change human behavior, but the problem is that as more people are vaccinated, they will increase their interactions, and that changes the herd immunity equation, 
which relies in part on how many people are being exposed to the virus. The vaccine is not bulletproof. Imagine that a vaccine offers 90% protection. If before the vaccine you met at most one person, and now with vaccines you meet 10 people, you're back to square one. There will always be the human element. Let's face it, anti-vaxxers have no chance of changing their mind, and they are not worth the effort. But vaccine hesitancy is very, very different. They are waiting for the right time or the right amount of information, and that makes up most of the hesitancy in the U.S. But where is the disparity in the people of color, and why? And why isn't the media talking about it? We hear everything about red states and Trump supporters. Well, we most assuredly know that the Hispanic community, African-American community, Latin community, Asian community is predominantly Democrat. We understand that. We can admit that, right? Then why would they be hesitant? Because it seems to me that all we hear is that Democrats have lined up and they're 100% checked off and all Republicans have refused to get it, which is a bunch of malarkey. And I can't believe I said malarkey. African-Americans in the past were subject to medical experiments that were absolutely abhorrent. For example, in 1932, the U.S. Public Health Service started the Tuskegee Syphilis Study in Alabama. The study involved nearly 400 black men and went on for 40 years. During this time, the men were never told the true purpose of the study and were not offered treatment for the disease, even when the one became readily available. Another example of medical mistreatment of African-Americans is the story of Henrietta Lacks. Lacks was an African-American woman who had cervical cancer in the 1950s. Her doctor sent a sample of her cells without her consent to Dr. George Gay, a cancer researcher. Dr. Gay soon discovered that Lacks' cells continuously doubled and did not die, unlike any other cells he studied. He named them the HeLa cells. The study of these cells over decades has aided many medical discoveries, including cancer treatment and the creation of the polio vaccine. Today, these cells are still being used to study cancers, toxins, drugs, and viruses. However, Lax never knew her cells were being studied, and neither she nor her family were even compensated, despite the discoveries that emerged from her cells. Those are just two examples and a litany of them. How about Native Americans? Other communities of color, such as Native Americans, have faced similar medical mistreatment. In the 1960s and 70s, the Indian Health Services forcibly sterilized, sterilized approximately one in four Native American women under the guise of different medical procedures and without consent. In 1989, the Havasupa tribe agreed to allow the Arizona State University to study their community's blood samples to determine if there was a genetic reason for their increased rates of diabetes. The tribal members who signed a consent form believe they were giving consent for the study of diabetes only. Instead, researchers went on to study and publish findings on several unrelated medical conditions, as well as the tribe's likely historical origins. Experiences such as these led to understandable distrust of the medical community and any new medical treatment, including vaccines. Not all members of these communities completely distrust vaccines, however. Compared to non-Hispanic white Americans, only 10% of Native American children are less likely to be fully vaccinated against common diseases, and 20% of Native American adults are less likely to accept a flu vaccine. Even the COVID-19 vaccine has support within tribal communities, despite the century-old distrust of the medical system. There are tribal members who have volunteered for COVID-19 vaccine trials and have encouraged others to get vaccinated as well because they feel it is ultimately best for their community. 
Hispanic Americans, although they may not have the same history of medical experimentation, Hispanic communities are also wary of new medical treatments. This is because, like African Americans, they have a history of racism and discrimination within the government and medical system. Unfortunately, these are also the communities most affected by COVID-19. Now, I will not disclose from who I received this internal email from. I believe there is an active effort to remove anyone who is in the medical profession that challenges the norm and asks these type of questions. This document is from Houston Methodist Willowbrook Hospital in Texas. It is one of the most prestigious institutions in the USA, also known as the most densely populated cities in America and will overtake Chicago shortly. Texas has been without mask mandates for some time. Only about half of the state is vaccinated, which would be 44.6% of the population, which is being uh, a little bit behind the nation at 50.6. So the numbers should be indicative of what we are hearing from the media. And here are some of the things we're hearing. That nearly 100% of hospitalizations are from the unvaccinated. And of those vaccinated, hardly any are in the SICU or severely sick. Numbers averaging from 96% effectiveness at withstanding hospitalization when vaccinated. That beds are running out again all over America. That the data shows that red states and Republicans are to blame for the recent spike. And that 99% of the new cases are Republican Trump supporters. According to this document, the following was sent by CEO Keith Barber. And here it is. Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021. This is the actual screenshot of the email, and I have taken all quotes from it. Before we go into this, I want to show you a few things. First, this is for Willowbrook Hospital, and it has 358 operating beds. That is a very large number of beds. It is a massive hospital, 20 operating rooms. It has uh, over 1,100 affiliated physicians, 2,200 employees, 20,000 admissions, 184,000 outpatients, 55,000 emergency room visits, and 3,700 births. It is a booming hospital. So the first thing that I, I, I read through this is that, once again, this was sent by Barber, and the infamous Dr. Boom stated the following. Remember Dr. Boom? I will link the show up here on YouTube where I smashed him to a million little pieces. Seems like he's recovered. And here's how it starts. As of today, our hospital has 138 patients in isolation. We have 90 COVID positive patients with 19 suspected cases and 29 other cases. I don't know what the hell that means. We have six SICU, and those are surgical intensive care units, and those are six patients, and 10 MICU, which is medical intensive care units, 10 of those. Take a look at the next one. If we do the math out of these 186 patients, SICU, which is surgical ICU, that's open heart, brain surgery, etc., is 3.2 or totaling of 6, 3.2%. If we do the math on MICU, which would specifically be from COVID, 5.3%, which would total 10 The next portion of the email says, and this is the most disturbing part, across the system, more than 80% of hospitalized COVID patients are unvaccinated. Well, that's not the number we've heard from the mass media. It's supposed to be 100% or almost 100%. Here it's 80%, still a very high number, and we understand that. But it would also make sense if they are having procedures done or are immune compromised to begin with, hence why they're in the hospital. Of those unvaccinated, though, 22% of them are in ICU. 
22% who are unvaccinated. It's a staggering number. But what's also very interesting is by contrast, among vaccinated patients who are hospitalized, 14% are in ICUs. That's only an 8% gap between vaccinated and unvaccinated. So there's some misnomers here and some interesting things that vaccinated people aren't supposed to go in ICUs, right? That's what we've heard, is that this helps them never to be hospitalized. In fact, that's the narrative. So maybe you understand why there is some hesitancy, because since the beginning, the number hasn't really added up. This reminds me of the tragic murder of the Chicago officer the other day, and people wanted to somehow make it even worse by saying she just returned from maternity leave, that she was a new mom. The fact is she wasn't married and she had never had a child. The the sensationalization of this disease must stop. We must stop laying the blame at America's feet. This isn't our virus, but we damn well are responsible for how we treat our fellow citizens. If we truly want to beat this thing, We have to come to grips with the fact that we will never beat this thing. We have never successfully wrangled a virus. We will face many forms of this. And to wipe it out, we would have to immunize at a far more rapid click than is possible. We have to be honest about boosters. And they're going to be a never-ending cycle of them. We have to ask ourselves, why is a respiratory virus, virus thriving in the summer? And they do not thrive in this environment in warmer climate usually. Without reaching a herd immunity, we have spearheaded a variant of this virus. We saw this in 2001 with the first SARS string. We have to admit that masks are not the answer and stop pretending that half resolves will have full results. I'm not a doctor. I do not have every answer, and most assuredly, I can be incorrect about even what I discussed here. But the difference is is that I can admit when I'm wrong. I do not hide behind that the science has changed. I do not force lies until they become truth. I have heard from so many sources that the unvaccinated are choosing hesitancy over the jab because they are uneducated. How about now? We have to stop the mistruths. We have to stop the lying. This hospital is firing nurses if they don't get the vaccine. We're bringing mask mandates back in Virginia and Maryland. We are most assuredly headed for a lockdown again. Why? When are we going to realize that the science from the past is just as important as what we're learning today? But it's almost like we started in January and left everything we've learned over centuries of collecting data and only care about what this data says. We're not newborns to science. We're not newborns when it comes to viruses and vaccines and how our bodies respond to them. We have plenty of examples to go off of. But somehow, we're ignoring all the facts. We're ignoring the past. We're ignoring the things we've learned before. There are some things that are most assuredly true. But the great thing about Americans is that we have something at our fingertips. And it is the cause of this and it is the solution to this. The reason why we're hesitant is because we, when we have no answers, we'll go out and look for them by ourselves. And we are unguided and we are unpracticed in science. That is where the government should come in. That is where they should help educate and be open and honest and answer questions. And if that requires them to stop campaigning or pretending to pass an infrastructure bill that has no chance of passing, and each of them coming back to their home states and holding open forums and town halls and taking TV time, So we can stop the Merry Christmas Greater Housewives of Atlanta 
and watching the rerun of Wheel of Fortune that maybe we can actually get some Q&As going on so we can help educate the masses. The hesitant are not waiting for a great white hope. They are simply waiting because we don't have the answers that we need to make an informed decision. You can't subject people into groups and put them into small, tiny pockets of what you think they are. We have people who ran for the vaccine and wanted it immediately. We had people who've been hesitant, who've crossed that line, and there are people out there who will never cross that line. We've addressed the first two, and the latter is being neglected. And every day that you do that, we become more resounding in the fact that we will never get this vaccine, no matter what you say, because in the end, we don't believe you. Folks, that's it for my show tonight. Thank you for watching. Please do me a favor and like, share, and subscribe if you would. You can hit YouTube right here or hit like, follow on Facebook. I would greatly appreciate it. I will go out like I always do. 1-800-273-8255-PRESS-1. The Veteran Crisis Hotline is there for all veterans. 22 commit suicide a day. The holidays are coming up. It seems like I just talked about this last year, and I did is that the number moves up closer to 25 to 27 during the holidays. It is a horrible time for veterans. Please reach out, make a phone call, see if they're okay. If you can't do that, you can reach out to me. I'll make it with you. And last but not least, you can always go to don'tunfriendly.com. Click on the VCL link. It'll direct you to a VCL operator via Skype or by phone. They're standing by to answer your questions. If you are not a veteran, they will not turn you away as well. Just make that phone call and they will find the right place for you. Folks, that is it for 203. Once again, we need to start asking questions. We need answers. We need our elected officials to calm us in this time. 9-11 was one of the worst times. The 24 to 48 hours after that, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if we were going to get hit with a nuke. We didn't know what country was involved. We didn't know if this was the beginning. And honestly, it was reminiscent of Pearl Harbor. There was a sense of unease of not knowing. Every single person in America feels that, whether they have gotten vaccinated or or they're not. We have an obligation to educate. The President of the United States stood up there on stage and talked about HIV and AIDS. They talked about the housing crisis. They talked about possible recessions that were coming up. They talked to 9-11 about who, what, when, where, and why. We have a responsibility, even when they get it wrong. Our government has stood up on the national stage and blatantly lied to us before. But at least it's better than silence. I would rather have my government lie to me like any good government should. That's it, folks. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a wonderful night. God bless.